Well, welcome to Underground. If you're new or if you're visiting, uh, hopefully you'll become new and keep coming. But we're glad to have you. So this, this is Underground. My name is Chad. I'm the director here. Um, and, man, I'm just so excited that you guys are here. We're going to be jumping into the Ten Commandments tonight. And um, we're going to look through quite a few of them. And uh, it's summertime, so I don't really care how long I go. So sorry for you. Awesome for me. Um, at any time, you can leave after the two-hour mark, okay? Um, so this week, I've actually been in uh, Branson, Missouri. Has anybody been there? Holla at me. Yes. It's awesome, isn't it? Here's the thing. Branson's where all the old people go. But let me tell you something. Age brings wisdom, and the old people know what's up. Because I'm telling you, Branson was incredible. So I've actually been, for the last week, we took all of the single parents from all of our campuses here at Second. We took them down to Branson, Missouri, um, them and their kids. And so I had the privilege of doing all of their sessions. So I got to teach to them every day. It was fantastic. Um, and uh, I took uh, Mackie and Aldera. Y'all know Mackie, our, our uh, girl singer, and then Aldera's our girl drummer. By the way, it's pretty cool we have a girl drummer. It's unique that we have a girl drummer. Not that girls can't drum. It's just unique that girls don't normally drum. And we have a girl drummer anyways. But I took them with me. They're not here because they're on the bus. I got to fly back, so don't tell them that. But anyways, um, so they came down. They, had, they, were, they were hanging with the kids while I was talking to the adults. And it was really cool because uh, we went to Silver Dollar Theme Park. All right, and, um, and Aldera, female drummer, in case you know her, Aldera has never ridden a roller coaster before. So you know we had to fix that problem real quick. So we got there right when the doors opened. We shot right to the back of the park because that's the strategy. You go to the back because everyone takes their time looking at the map. Don't worry about the map. You just go straight to the back. That rhyme, don't know how that worked. We got to the back. We found the craziest coaster, the outlaw, and we said, hey, don't even think about it. Just jump in. Let's do this thing. So she got on and she's kind of shaking, but she's like, you know what? I got y'all. I'm safe. This is going to be great. And we're just like, good luck. And we went on that thing. And I'll tell you what, she was so scared, but she made it. And then we're leaving the outlaw, and we look left, and there's another coaster, but this one's a little different. This is called the barn door swing. And the barn door swing just goes like this. Ooh, ooh. I didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal. We took her on the barn door swing. Let's just say we weren't riding roller coasters for the rest of the day. Y'all get what I'll catch my drift? You get what I'm saying? I told her I wasn't going to say that, but she's not here, so she doesn't know. So, uh, but anyway, so her first experience was probably her last experience, but uh, we had a great time, and so I'm glad to be back. Here's, here's something cool. For those of you that are seeking your spiritual gift, let me give you an insight that I think will be helpful. Um, I have been teach. I taught Thursday night here with you guys, hopped on a plane, got there Sunday, taught every day since then until tonight, and back with you tonight. Let me tell you something. Other than the human body getting tired, when you find your calling, man, there's just something that just energizes you. To go six in a row, and I'm, I mean, I've been so excited to get back to you guys and just be able to share what the Lord's put on my heart for tonight. And I just want to encourage you, it's a great sign to know you found your spiritual gift when it energizes you to step in and serve. Now, I'm not saying you should do something like that often. That's like a rare thing, what we just did. But what a cool moment to know that you're walking in your gifting. So may that be encouragement for you. Now, I said all this stuff about Branson because I wanted to tell you this. How many of you were here when we did the Financial Peace University not too long ago? Okay, so do you all remember the envelope system? Check this out. Sitting there on the, on the vacation, we go to one of the shows. There's a gift shop. I walk into the gift shop. You'll see why later tonight. Um, I go into the gift shop, and I'm in line, and in front of me is one of our single parents and her son from our uh, trip, and the son gets to the counter, and the son wants to buy this little frog, 
like, oh, that's cute, you know. Guess what they pull out? The envelope system. He had his own little envelope and his own little amount of money, and mama made him put that money on the counter and count it out. He was going through the nickels and the dimes and the pennies. It was taking a while, but I was so proud because I'm going, these guys get it. Listen, that's a single mom saying, hey, it doesn't matter if it's going to be hard. I want to raise my kid the way I know best, and I want to teach him how to handle his money and be wise with money. Isn't that cool? If you weren't here for that, I know you're going like, what in the world? But I just want to show you, man, here's the thing. Here's the point. When we choose to follow the Lord, not only does it impact our life and be obedient to him, not only does it impact our life, it impacts the people around us. I was so energized. In fact, I put something back. It's like, I didn't really need to buy that. I'm putting it back. I forgot my envelope system at home. Let's just be real. But I'm going to put this back because that inspired me to be wise with my money. Here's what I want you to see tonight before we go any further, before we jump into the commandments and start talking about all the things that you may leave here thinking, I can't do I want to show you something. When we choose to follow Christ, we are choosing to be obedient to his call. Faith that saves is faith that obeys. And when we look at the Ten Commandments, if we get our mind off just a little bit, we can look at it as a bunch of things we have to do rather than a bunch of things we desire to do. And I'm looking at this whole week, and I'm looking at these single moms and these single dads, and man, they're just working and making ends meet, doing all this, and I'm watching obedience, and man, it's encouraging, and I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you that your passion in your life would be above everything else, that I just want to be obedient to the Lord as he calls me and as he asks me to go. Now, let's look at our story. So we're looking at Exodus, and here's what's happened. The people of Israel have made it through the Red Sea. They've watched their enemies be destroyed. Now they make it to the bottom of Mount Sinai, and they're all gathered together. And how many of you have ever had a family meeting before, right? Dad goes, hey, everyone get together. Usually you know someone's in trouble, right? Somebody did something, so we're going to have to talk about it. God is calling a family meeting with the people of Israel at the bottom of Mount Sinai. And what he's about to do is lay in front of them. Now that I've brought you out of here, here's what I want you to do going forward. Here's the guidelines that I'm putting in front of you. But here's the thing I want us to see before we go any further. It is so different to get rules or regulations or laws from a loving father than it is from a dictator. When dad sits down with you at the family meeting, Maybe he did this, maybe he did, but let's pretend he did. He sits down and gets on your level, looks you eye to eye and says, son, daughter, I love you. Because I love you, here's some things I'm placing in place for you to follow because I want to protect you. I want to guide you. I want to take care of you. And even though you may not like it, there's something about dad sitting down or mom sitting down or grandpa sitting down with you to say, here's what I want you to do and here's why. A lot of times we struggle with laws here in our country because we don't know the lawgiver who made it. It's just some random thing that's there to get in the way, right? The light was orange. I just decided to keep going. Don't think about that too hard to hurt yourself. The reality is because we don't know who it's connected to, oftentimes it can lose its value or its weight. But oh, when dad sits down and lays out some regulations, even when we don't like it, there's something different that just comes. I'm saying that to you because this is how God operates in this moment and when he calls obedience between all of us. As a loving father, he sits down and says, listen, let me lay this out for you, but it's because I love you 
and I want to protect you. And so here's Israel at the bottom of Mount Sinai, and Moses is going to go up, and he's going to hear from God, and God is going to lay in front of him some commandments. I'm not going to get through them all tonight. We're going to just look at three, hopefully. We may not get that far, but that's the plan. But I want to show you a couple things. The commandments give us three really good perspectives, or really good, um, let's just say purposes. It's not the end all, but these are good. First, it's guardrails. It's guardrails, the commandments, the laws, the things that God has put in the scriptures for us, they're guardrails. Why? To keep the Christians just on a moral path, to help guide us in the way that would honor the Lord. Commandments serve as guardrails. They also serve as mirrors. They serve as mirrors. What does that show us? Well, it reminds us, one, that we can't fulfill all the commandments, that they're simply just as, as humans, as imperfect humans, and you know this, you try to do the right thing, but you're gonna fall or slip somewhere along the line. What does that show us? It shows us the need for a savior. It shows us that we need Jesus Christ to stand in on our behalf. They serve as a mirror, but they also serve as a guide. They serve us as a guide to show us, we talked about this last week, what God desires for the people of God how he desires that we would live and operate in the world in which we live. Now, the first four commandments deal with our vertical relationship with God. And then the rest deal with horizontal, with each other. So tonight and next week, we're going to deal with the vertical. And then in the weeks to come, we're going to deal with the horizontal, all right? So you better sit next to somebody you like, because we're going to be dealing with some real stuff in the coming weeks. But tonight, it's going to hurt no matter what. All right, here we go. Exodus 20, verse 1 Let's begin from the top. And God spoke all of these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Let's pause. First two verses, not even in the commandments yet. What is God doing? He's reminding the people of Israel of a couple of things. Number one, what we need to know, it says that God spoke all these words. Listen, Every time we gather in this place, you gather at a church or wherever it is that you're going, when we open up the word, it is God speaking to you. That's got to be the heartbeat and the desire of what we are doing. If you are coming to listen to me or going to the conference to listen to the great speaker that you love to follow or the, the great author or fill in the blank, you've missed the point about what we're doing. It's God speaking through man that opens up that door. This is God speaking to you. Listen, pastors, teachers, speakers, fill in the blank, authors, they have a word from God, but Jesus is the word, all right? John tells us that. It's so important that we keep this in perspective. When I stand up to present these things to you, this is not me telling you what to do. It's me being a messenger of what God would desire that you and I would follow suit. It's so important we understand that when we remember it's coming from God, it has a different weight when it falls on us, okay? The second thing is he's reminding them of what he's just done. Brought them out of slavery, took care of their enemies. Remember, he provided in times when they didn't think they had food, they didn't think they had water, and yet God provided all the way. What's he doing? He's reminding them that I have taken care of you. I have brought you here. Now, here's what I desire for you to go. The same is true for you and I that are believers in Jesus Christ. God has brought you out of the bondage, the slavery of sin, and he has brought you into a new life in Jesus Christ. You are a new creation. It's time we start acting like it, amen? You, go, you don't have to say it, just it was there, I know. This is the point. I have set you up. 
I have brought you out. I've drawn you in to now send you out. And this is what he's doing. Okay, let's keep going. First commandment. Here we go. Are you ready? No other God. Verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, why did he write this? Remember who we're talking about. We're talking about the people that have just come out of Egypt. Do you remember this? They had 80 plus different gods in Egypt that they worshiped. 80 plus. The number is really hard to pin down, an actual number. An insane amount of gods that they were worshiping. There was always one god for something. When you think about just materialism, they had the the god of Baal, the god of weather, the god of finance, the god of success. They They had sex gods. They had the goddess of sex, the goddess of romance, the goddess of reproduction. Sound crazy? Here's what's funny. We still worship the same gods. We just don't attach the names to them anymore. The old-fashioned names we would never attach, but the actions are still the same. We desire to put in the place of our God these multiple things. And so the reality is, even though he's really writing in a moment saying, be careful of what you just came out of, he's writing to us just as much today to say, hey, you be careful that you don't let anything else get in the place of me, your God. And we can look at this and go, well, all those gods of Egypt, well, good thing we're not doing that. And we realize fairly quickly that we actually do very similar things. But here's what the enemy loves to do. We talk about this all the time. He loves to just make them seem not as bad as they actually are. If he can soften it up or twist it up just a little bit where you're not worshiping the God of sex, you're just sleeping with everyone that you want to. You're not worshiping the God of money, you just only focus on your money. That's the only thing that matters and everything else comes second. But it's not a God. You don't hold up your money and bow down to it. And so Satan plays with us to think, well, it's not that bad. We're not the people of Egypt worshiping a snake and worshiping all these things. But the reality is it's not much different. In fact, God would probably say it's not different at all. And so the reality is we could at first read this and go, oh, this is not for me. I know who God is. God's the one, the only true God. But the reality is, is there anything you're putting in his place? And then he says this. This is very interesting. No other gods before me. Now, when you stop for a second and you read that, you go, now, wait a minute. Does that mean there can be other gods? They just can't be in front of God. And so theologians, because this is what they do, they like to argue over what's right and what's wrong. By the way, people joke all the time, I think it's really funny, if the angels want a good laugh, they read the commentaries to see what people actually said about what God said. The reality is there's a lot of confrontation over this, but it's really simple. There should be no God in front of, alongside, uh, over. There should be no God even in the same category. There should be no other God but our God period. Nothing even close, nothing, let's put it this way, okay? My wife's here today, so this is going to be helpful. Um, Not for her, for you. We'll use her as our example. If my wife were to come home tonight and say, you know what, I heard you speaking, and I just wanted to let you know, um, I have decided that as much as I really love you, I would like to change our relationship and our marriage to an open marriage, I would like to invite some other guys in to be a part of this, and so when I'm not with you, I might be with them, but I just want you to know that I still love you. How many of the dudes are going like, that sounds awesome? If you do, don't answer, and I'll talk to you afterwards for a whole other series on your own. 
The reality is when we're married, we're committed to each other, right? And only to each other. There's no other guys in the picture. There's no, there's no could be when you're not around guys. There's no when she wants to guys. There's none of that. She's committed to me and to me alone, and I'm committed to her and to her alone. Now, the reality is when we use that example and then we think about God, it begins to make a little bit more sense. Because though we like to worship God, we're okay with our money being close by, or we're okay with our relationships taking control, or our career getting up there close to God. But if you think about it like this, no one in their right mind would ever say, sure, of course, open it up a little bit. Let some other guys come around. Just make sure I'm always still the number one. No. You try that, you're going to walk out bloody. That's just the way it's going to be. And I don't even know if that's right, but we'll deal with that later, okay? Because that's just not going to happen. This is between her and I, and this is what God is desiring for you and I. He wants it to be just him. He wants no one else in the way, because the reality is if Sarah had done that, our love in a way would be ruined. It would have lost its value, its sacredness, its uniqueness, it would be gone. It would be gone. And God desires that you and I would never put anyone or anything in front. So how do we deal with this? Well, there's a couple questions you can ask. These aren't perfect, but these might help. How do you know if something else is in the way? Well, think of this. Answer this question to yourself. You can take anything but my blank in life. You can have all of this, but don't take my relationship. Don't take my career. Don't take my money. Don't take my status, depending where you are. Don't take my athletic ability. Don't take, fill in the blank, the list could go on and on and on and on. If there's anything that falls in that category for you, there's a really good chance it has slipped in front of God. Second one, help me blank, I'm in trouble. Where do you go in times of dire need, where do you turn? Maybe it's a person, maybe it's a bottle, maybe it's a pill. Where do you turn? Has something taken the place of who God is in your life as your provider of your needs, as your healer and your comforter? Another example of how we let things slip in. By the way, it's possible that it could be yourself, that you are the one, that you have made yourself your own little God, that everything is about you, and God comes second. That's a very common one. The last one, this isn't perfect, but this might help. What are the top three bank transactions that I have? When you go through your bank account, where does your money go? Where does the majority of your money go? That might help you determine your idols. Some of you, you need to lay down Starbucks. It's time. It's time to break away. Now, I'm not, I don't know if that's really true or not, but it's possible. What is it maybe that's stepping in front of God, we gotta be careful there, we gotta be careful, okay? So the first one is no other gods. Let's look at number two. Have no idols. Have no idols. Verse four, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth below or that is in the water under the earth. Verse five, you shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, he says, do not make for yourself any image. Again, 
First, he's dealing with people coming out of Egypt. Remember, all of those gods they worshipped were connected to some kind of symbol, whether it was a snake or a river or some atmosphere or the sky or whatever. There was always an image connected to it. And so what God was saying is all the things that happened in Egypt, you're not bringing those with you. Those are staying behind. Not only are you going to put anything in front of me, but you're not going to worship any item or any object. Now, at first glance, you may go, hmm, that's great, but that doesn't really you know, deal with us. That was really for them back then. Really? Great. I'm glad you said that. Okay, so let's start with this. Football season's not happening right now, so I'm going to let all y'all in, and I'm just going to hurt you real quick. All right, let's say that you were to bring someone from biblical times into modern day, and you were to say, hey, I want to show you what it's like here in America. I want to just take you on a tour. I want you to see everything, and there's something really incredible going to happen on Sunday. We'll go to church on Saturday night somewhere so that we can show up on Sunday because I want to show you this, and you take them to a, a Texans game, and they walk in, and they see thousands of people gathered around. They're kind of excited. This is crazy. Look at all these people, and then all of a sudden, they hear them chanting the same thing, same thing. And then they look around and everyone's kind of dressed similar and they've got their face painted. Some don't even have shirts on. They need to, but that's okay. And they're looking around and they're going, wow, everybody's chanting. Everybody's in uniform, if you will. All these thousands of people are gathered and they're all focused on one thing. And then you go, but then we were walking in from the parking lot and we saw all these people making sacrifices and then eating them. <laughs> and the reality is, if you were to take, if you didn't get that, ask a friend later. The reality is if you were to bring that person in, they would go, this is one of the greatest worship services I've ever been in. <laughs> Thousands of people, y'all didn't even dress alike. You all brought your own stuff, but everyone's got the same name across their chest. This is amazing. And then you go, well, actually, no, 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 this is just a football game. And they go, oh, well, take me to your temple or your sanctuary or your church, and you bring them here. And people are like, ah, Starbucks. Uh, amen, amen. Ooh, that was, that was for him. Yeah. Amen. Oh, it's time to sing. Put your coffee down. If you're drinking coffee, don't worry, it's okay. I'm, I'm just hard. Put your coffee down. It's time to sing. Let's pray. Oh, yeah, let's pray. Father, thank you. Jesus' name. They start to play the clothes song. All right, I got to get to Louvre, you see. I know, y'all don't need Louvre. See the difference? Now, that's not, a, that's not a judgment on the worship service, but it's, the, it's to show us how easy it is that the things that we're involved in look so different. If a biblical times person were to come and look at something, they would be so confused. They would be so confused. Not to mention, why are there thousands and then yet only this gathered together? That's just stadiums. I realize I'm not going to be able to get through all 53 of these that I had listed, so I'll just do one more, maybe two more. The mall. Woo! How, did, how dare he go there, right? Of all people. Yeah, I know. Me too. I, I like the mall. We go there, what? To improve our image? To improve our self-satisfaction? If I get this new shirt, I'll be a new person. If I get these new shoes, I might run faster. It doesn't work, but I try all these things. And hey, guess what? This is where I worship with my wealth because I got to pay for all that. This is where I worship with my wealth. And malls are massive. Massive little sanctuaries of people trying to build an image, trying to, to become something that it's not wrong to go to the mall. Please, please hear me. It's not wrong to go to a football game. But I want you to see how easy it is for this stuff to take its wrong place. Let's think about politicians. 
Every couple years, we, we, we hope that, some, I know some of y'all are younger, and, and you know, the truth is we need to be involved in this so we can be a part of what's happening in our country, but politician comes on, or, oh, maybe this guy's going to save us. Maybe this one's going to save us. Maybe this one's going to save us. And maybe we wouldn't say the word save us because that sounds a little bit like we're, we're replacing them with God, but the reality is we're hoping that they'll bring economy back, that they'll do all these things, and, and in pol- um, political season, we can kind of lose focus on everything else, and we're focused in here, and then it's over, and we go back to who we were, but the reality is it's no different. For whether a short season or a long season, something takes its place. We talk about substance. Man, if I, I'm having a tough time, a tough day, a tough week, a tough year, if I can just grab that bottle, that vodka is gonna find, it's gonna give me freedom. I, I will feel better if I could just have a drink. And we all know that all that does is lead us into more slavery. If not immediately, then down the road. And you see, and it's almost like God just knew this. He understood this. And he's not only asking us to worship him because he is worthy, but he's asking for your own benefit that you would try to fill his void with something else because it's always going to let you down. That guy will never satisfy you ever. Never. Only God will fill that void. Let's look at idols in the church. Whoa, we're not done yet. I'm, I'm just getting started. First, let's talk about images. Got pictures of Jesus, all right, images, symbols, pictures of Jesus, worship songs, worship bands, all right, we got the cross, we've got a lot of symbols, images that we use, they're artistic, but the reality is they are not to replace worshiping God and they are not to be worshiped in place of God. For those that wear a cross around your neck, Don't feel bad about that, but you might ask yourself, why do I do that? Is it to remember who Jesus is, or do I have it blinged up with a bunch of diamonds so people look at me when I walk in? You might need to rethink that, because the cross had nothing to do with diamonds. The only cross you should wear is covered in blood if you're going to do it for that reason. See, we got to be so careful, and and here's the thing, um, and and I, I, I don't mean to do this harshly, but let's just be honest, because I want to teach you, I want to train you, I want to build you up, the Catholic Church. Do you know that they took out the second commandment? They took it out because this is a problem. They worship symbols. They worship items. They worship something that's not true God. You may be wondering, by the way, if you have a Catholic background, how did they get to 10? They took the 10th commandment. They split it into two. That's how they have 10. Go back and look at the Roman Decalogue. It no longer has that thou shalt not worship idols or images. They've taken that out because the Catholic Church is built on it. And let me tell you something. It's beautiful. The churches they build, the things, it's beautiful. There's nothing wrong with a picture of Jesus in your house or a cross, nothing, as long as it doesn't begin to be what you worship to worship God. God wants us to worship him and him alone. And then we we move on to, to teachers. We talked about this, teachers, speakers, conference leaders, fill in the blank. You can't make them an idol, all right? There, you just can't. God's speaking through them, and that's amazing, and that's powerful, but as soon as you put someone, here's how you know if you put someone there wrong, in the wrong place. You say silly things like, I, I really only hear God well when I hear them speak. You've really set yourself up for trouble because you've put them in a place. You should hear God speak through anyone. Even if a third-year-old were to get, a three-year-old were to get, third-year-old, that, that's a new term, whether he's a third grade or three, uh, three can't talk. Whatever AJ can talk, and they get up here and they say, I just want you to know that Jesus loves you. By just saying that, 
You may not be able to pull a whole sermon that's going to radically change your life, but you should be able to go, you know what, I can get something from that. The Lord's speaking to me. Look at how young he is. Look at how passionate he is. What a reminder that God loves me. Yes, he loves me. Every time the Bible's open, we should be able to get something out of it. Granted, yes, sure, there's different people that communicate different ways, but never should a person be in place of what we hear from God. The word of God is the truth. The word of God is what's alive, not the person. Oh, we move on to musicians. This is a huge problem in America, especially with our generation. We love our worship bands, and they are good. They're so good. I mean, all Elevation, Bethel, Hillsong, all of, they're all great. I hope I didn't eliminate your favorite one. They're all great. But if you're not careful, we put them in place of God. Well, as long as I'm listening to a Hillsong song, I worship God. It's amazing. But then when you put that other band on, I mean, it's all right. It's a half raise. It's okay. The reality is what we've done is put someone in place of where God desires to be. It's not about the style. It's not about the singer. It's about the words that we're singing. It's about the message behind the song, whether it has six instruments, 20 instruments, one instrument, or none. It's about the words that we're singing to Almighty God. And so you can see we've got to be so careful that we don't allow these things to move into place. And it says, because I am a jealous God. And jealous now, that word has gotten such a, a, a negative meaning over the years. And so I really think a word you could translate in there just to maybe help you get a better perspective would be zealous rather than jealous. But I am a zealous God. I am seeking you, and I want you to seek only me. Now, when we pull that out and talk about marriage, it makes a lot of sense. I want it to be just you and I, and I want your desire to be just you and me. But God says, I am a jealous God. He knew that. You can't serve two masters. There's no way you can give me what I desire if there's someone else or something else in the picture. And then it says, love and keep. I choose to love you, so I choose to keep your commandments. God, I've chosen you as my savior of faith that saves. I choose to obey your commands. Father, I choose to follow a faith that obeys. It's the same thing in marriage. Listen, maybe most of you in this room are gonna get married one day. You're gonna stand across from someone else and you're gonna say, I choose to love you. You are the one. I'm not choosing you and then some others or choosing you until something goes wrong. I choose you. Now, you're not choosing to obey them, but you're choosing to be faithful to them and to serve them and to give everything you have. It's the same thing that happens with God. When God pulls us out of that darkness, we step into relationship with him and we say, I choose to give you all. Because I love you, I will keep your commandments and I will do it willingly because you are worthy. And then it begins to talk about the generations and basically what he's saying is, hey, the sins of the father, they can affect the sins of the kids. You know that. Some of you in this very room are experiencing that. Things that happen within your family, they still plague you today, whether it was daddy issues or mommy issues or broken home or fill in the blank of all the different things and ways this could happen. But God's saying, listen, if you choose to take this path, there's going to be repercussions not just for you, but it's going to trickle down the line. But praise the Lord, we serve a Jesus that makes a way for us to change all of that. But can you just think about something for a minute? Our generation, whatever that is, I'm not sure where the cap is, but whatever our generation is, we're going to have a short window to truly impact, we'll just say the nation, That's, we'll say America's where our impact is. Let's just say it's a 20-year a window, all right? Think about how we're doing 
so far. What did we just institute? You know what I'm Same-sex marriage. I can't wait for my grandkids to know my granddaddy's generation instituted that. You see how this works? What God is saying is every generation has a chance to make an impact, but at the same time, they have an opportunity to do the opposite and to pave the way for not just the third, but the fourth and the fifth generation of all those to come behind. And sometimes, let's be honest, we get so comfortable just dealing with ourselves dealing with our little box and our little window that we're not thinking about what's happening beyond us. We're not thinking about the path we're paving for those that will come behind us. A lot of people don't even want to have kids anymore because the, the, the world is just so messed up. Now, the reality is that's just the world we live in because of sin. That's never going to change. So don't not have kids down the road, not tonight. Don't not have kids because the world is so messed up. No, no, no. Raise your kids to make an impact on the world. And let's just see what we can do. It's not going to be perfect, we know, but that's got to be the goal. Christians are to back away in a little cubby hole, but we're to step out and see how can we make an impact on the world. God's saying, I want you to remember this. Because when you don't keep these, particularly this one, it's going to have repercussions. And listen, all those idols we just listed, those are the things we're paving for the next generations. As sports takes such a bigger hold as shopping, I mean, you can shop anywhere. Right now on your phone, you probably bought 10 things while I was talking. All right, somebody's guilty somewhere. I'm gonna find you. It's unbelievable. Let's look at the last one real quick. By the way, if you thought you made it out tonight and you were like, oh, that wasn't that bad, he didn't get me, yeah, it's about to go down. Do not take God's name in vain. Do I need to say anything else? I'll help you, I do. I do. Verse seven, you shall not take the... Name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Okay, now before we go any further, let's talk about a name. What does a name have to do with anything? Two things. There's a lot, but there's two. First, reputation. In biblical times, when names were given to children, it was with much intention, with much thought. There was a plan behind it. There was a meaning behind it. They really thought through, what am I going to name my generation-changing kid? Sarah, by the way, is really big into this as we've been naming our kids. Like, whatever name I throw out, she's like, well, let's see. And she looks it up. She's like, okay, that'll pass. And it's, it's so cool, right? That's not me, but that's her. And so because it's her, it's me because we're one. You got like that? That was good. All right? Reputation, though. In biblical times, they understood this. A name wasn't just something you just throw on there, a, a Sam, a Cody. Don't that, your name, don't worry about it. But just throw it out there. No, it was thought out. What does this name mean? What is it going to represent? What kind of impact is our kid going to have? That's what we want to name. We want to name him Warrior. Is that, is that mine? Huh? Harold. Harold is Warrior. Yeah. I told you it's all her. My last name means Warrior. Enough said. But what's the point? They understood this. And so when Jesus said, don't take my name in vain, it had a whole other meaning than it probably does when you first hear it. The second thing is, remember, if a child went astray or dishonored, it wasn't just the child that dishonored himself. He dishonored the whole family. Some of us have been there. I know I have. Season of my life, my family probably wished I didn't share their last name. Maybe that's some of you. Some of you maybe wish your parents and you didn't have the same last name. But the reality is a name connects you to who you are, who you are and where you're from. 
And when a child goes and dishonors, they dishonor the whole family because they're connected to the name. See what God was doing? Man, he was rocking their world with this. It also, names also represent authority. God's name helped signify his authority. We know that God had a bunch of different names that were connected to him, and, and a lot of them connect to his authority. But to help you with authority, think of it like this. Uh, imagine if uh, we'll just use the president, whether you like it or like him or not, it doesn't matter. Let's just say that we're sitting here and someone walks in and says, I have a message. And you're like, okay, wait till the service is over and then talk to someone in the corner and we'll see what you have to say. But if someone came in and said, listen, guys, I have a message from the president's office just for you. Now, put aside if you don't like him for just a second and you go, whoa, the president sent us, um, here, us, just you and I, a specific message from the office of the president. Do you see the weight that comes with that? There's some authority with name. Now, let's look at the verse that he says. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. First, watch this. The word take means to carry or to bear something. The word vain, often thought of cursing, but it's really emptiness or worthlessness. Do not carry or bear the name of the Lord your God with emptiness or worthlessness. Whoa. Kind of a different look at it. Now, let's look at this. We do know that profanity would connect into using the Lord's name in vain. Not just any customs that we're talking about, we're talking about with the Lord, right? There are certain words. God, D. I don't have to finish it, you already know, all right? I swear to God. Those are things a lot of people use. We are taking his name in vain. I would fall in a category of profanity. Lord, have mercy. OMG. Yeah, you better erase that real quick on your phone. Jesus Christ. We say all these things, and they, they come out of our mouth, and they would fall into this category of profanity. But look at this. Also, Using the name of God in a superficial or stupid way. Yes, I just said that. Here's some. And listen, some of you, this is for you, and I want you to, just, I want you to think about it. I'm not saying you need to do, I'm just saying you need to think about this. When you say things like, praise God, or praise the Lord, powerful statement, when something of God happened, loses its value when it's used repeatedly for situations that don't fall in that category. You see how this works? It becomes emptiness or it becomes worthlessness. Now, I'm not saying if you say that you should hang your head right now, walk out of this room and repent. What I'm saying is you need to think about that. You need to think about the way that you use it. You need to think about how often you use it. You need to think about, am I giving God's name an emptiness or a worthlessness with how I use it? Just this week, we were, uh, were installing a chalkboard wall over in the Williams house where we do all of our Sunday morning stuff. And we had put together this little phrase that we saw, which we thought was really cool. All you need is God and a cup of coffee. We thought, oh, that's kind of cute, that's kind of fun. And then I started working on this, and I was like, oh, not gonna work. It's not gonna work. 
Is it just theologically wrong? I mean, no, not really. But does it take God's name and use it in a, in a superficial way or use it in a silly way? Yes, it does. And so we, I wrote back to, the, uh, to Victoria who was putting it together and I said, hey, I don't think we can use it. Let's try to maneuver it around a little bit. And we tried and we tried and we just realized, look, there's no good way to do this. Let's just change it all up. We'll put a verse up there, put a scripture up there. And I got to say, I felt really good about it. It felt kind of silly when I first thought about it. I was like, why are we spending so much time thinking about it? It's just a sign. But the reality is that's the kind of weight God wants to give us, us to give to his name. He wants us to think about how we use it, what it means when we say it, why are we saying it, how are we saying it. We got to be careful not to give his name a worthless or superficial or emptiness feel. And finally, another way is just hypocrisy. You walk out of here and you say, I am a child of God, yet you live like a child of Satan. You are taking the Lord's name in vain. When you're one way at church and another way at work, or one way at church and another way at school, or one way at church and another way in your family, that's a big one. We all seem to act different with our family. Listen, you are taking the Lord's name in vain, not to mention confusing a lot of people who maybe not then, but one day might look to you to see what God is really like. So we, it's not just cursing, guys. There's so many things that this falls into. Also, one other thing, just a, a side note. When we pray, if you've ever noticed in this church, every time we pray, when we finish our prayer, what do we say? Anybody know? In Jesus' name. You know why we say that? Because it is only because of Jesus that we could even pray to that holy God. It is only because of Jesus that we have access to almighty God. But watch this. When you say, Lord, give me whatever or help me out of this test that I didn't study for, you know what you're doing? When you say, in Jesus' name, you're saying, Lord, help me in my life of sin that I chose them not to study for this test and do something else, but Lord, in the name of the Jesus who hung on the cross, bloody and beaten for me, would you help cover my sin by helping me pass this test because I chose not to be faithful in this area. Do you see how we take the Lord's name in vain? Even within our prayers, we've got to step back for a minute and say, what am I really praying? It's okay to ask God for things. You should do that. He desires that. But if we're not asking for things that line up with the word of God, be careful because you might be asking something that essentially could be connected to taking the Lord's name in vain. It's a much bigger deal, but I want you to see the positive and then we'll be done. Matthew 6, 9 says this, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I don't want you to leave here thinking of all the negatives and all the things you're going to try not to do, but let's flip it. Think about how we can honor his name, praise his name, lift up his name, even spread his name to other people. See, if we focus on that, these other things will begin to work themselves out. Now, some of you are going to leave here and you're going to go, man, I'm going to really struggle with this. That's part of the community. Man, if set it up with your buddies. Hey, every time I say something I'm not supposed to, man, just give me a little nudge. Man, just hit me in the shoulder or maybe hit me harder if you want to, whatever you want to do. Man, whatever you need to do. But man, let's work together as a community. Let's work on this. For those of you, like I said, that maybe struggle with this, I don't want you to leave here with your head hanging. I want you to ask yourself the question, hey, do I fall in that category? Do I need to rethink of it? Because here's what I want to show you, and this is where we're in. The God 
that God is asking us to worship, to put first, and to honor his name, not take it in vain, is the God that has saved you and I from an eternal damnation in hell. It is the God that meets every need that you have. It's the God that heals. It's the God that brings life. It's the God through Jesus Christ that came out of his place where angels were worshiping him to come down to earth where people would beat and spit on him and curse at him to put himself on the cross to then be risen again out of that tomb to rise up to make a way for you and I to be saved and then to go back into heaven waiting for a chance to come back down to earth and to save us. He is that God that's done all of these things because he loves you. And his power is unmatchable. It makes sense that we would desire to honor God and his name and to keep him in his rightful place. Think in your own life, what do I need to do with this? Do I need to take some things out of the way of God? Great. Get to work. Do I need to make sure these images, these symbols, maybe these songs or these worship leaders are fill in the blank, are not taking their place? Get to work. Do I need to rethink how I use God's name? Do I need to put some weight to it? Then get to work. That's a great thing. This is part of maturing. This is part of growing. And we're all going to go through seasons of this. We can do this. Why? Because God is worthy of it.